Eight. Hey, hey, welcome to the podcast again this week. Thank you for listening. How was your holiday? How was your 4th of July? Oh, boy. Mine was quite fun. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I hosted upwards of 40 family members at my house <laughs> over the weekend. And uh, we put off a lot of fireworks. It's just a shame that uh, the city that I live in, Erie, um, has uh, decided not to do fireworks this year. They ran out of money. Actually, the sponsor backed out, and they didn't find a replacement. So, yeah, I had to go to a fireworks store called Big Woody's, <laughs> which is a great name, uh, and it, it's right up the street. Uh, and it also sells guns and knives and swords and throwing stars and candy. <laughs> Yeah, but I set off like a brick of firecrackers and then a whole bunch of different firework things. But Pennsylvania doesn't have cool ones. It's like everything oh, every, everything cool has been banned here. And I considered going into Ohio, but uh, that, uh, my wife would not hear of that. Anyhow, thank you for listening. I hope you guys had a great, great holiday. And uh, we'll be hearing from some of you who called in over this holiday. That was very thoughtful of you. Very nice. Made me feel wanted. Boosted my self-esteem, made me smile. <laughs> okay, what are we doing? Oh, well, I have to thank everybody who sent in submissions for the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest. And uh, as of midnight on the 4th of July, uh, submission acceptance was closed. We got 58 entries altogether. They are in the hands of the esteemed judges, Mr. Brown and Mr. Dunwoody. And I'm going to keep you updated about all the progress on that. But, I mean, it's not going to happen in, like, a week. You know, they can't do it that fast. Because if you think about it, 58 stories at 500 words each is 29,000 words, which is the length of a novella or something like that. So, yeah, it's going to take a little bit. It's not going to be too long, but, you know, but I'll keep you posted. So don't worry. Keep tuning in. But yes, the response was uh, bigger than I could have hoped for. Uh, I was very pleased by how many we got, and we really, we really uh, made it quite a job for Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody. But yeah, very cool. Want to remind you to go check out Bigfoot War, which is now available on Amazon.com. The latest by Mr. Eric S. Brown. And uh, also, um, you can go to my website, which is midnightcory.com, and check out weird stuff that I post on there. Or go to corpsecollective.com, which is a site where we have a bunch of really cool writers writing fiction and all kinds of different things. So go over there and check it out. This week I was out of town for a couple days. And so uh, I, I've been really getting into Michael Graves lately. Um, I, I always liked what he did for The Misfits, and that's all I really knew about him. I do not like The Misfits. Uh, uh, well... Okay, I'll talk about this. This is like an informal music review. Um, and actually, I'll get into Michael Graves' albums probably uh, a little more in depth as uh, we go on, because he has a lot of uh, really, really great music out there. So I loaded up my iPod, actually my phone, with uh, a bunch of misfits, like the box set, and then um, also American Psycho. What's the next one after American Psycho? Um, uh, Famous Monsters. And then also, uh, I bought uh, Project 1950, just for the hell of it. I knew it was like completely different, like Jerry Only was singing on that one. So it's like, 
Uh, but I, I put it on anyhow. Um, I hadn't listened to it as of then. So I went out of town and I had all these on my uh, on my phone. And I bought a couple, actually, Michael Graves albums. And I was listening to it the whole way out. And <sighs> The Misfits. Okay, let's talk about The Misfits and I'll work my way up to Michael Graves because it's kind of a logical step. But I love The Misfits. All the old stuff from back in the Glenn Danzig days. Love it. Love it. But uh, when they came back in like 1995, they started playing again. It was completely different, even though uh, I think at the beginning, the original member, uh, Jerry Only, uh, was playing. I think Doyle was in it at that point, too. And they had Michael Graves singing. And Michael Graves was kind of an unknown singer at that point. He was like 20 years old. They put out American Psycho. They put out, um, I forgot the name of it again, Famous Monsters. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, but, uh, and then Michael Graves left because of differences in the band, and Jerry Only uh, has been singing, which was weird. I listened to uh, Project 1950 for the first time on my trip, and, uh, uh, boy, I turned it off after, like, the third song. It was just retarded. I mean, it, it sounded bad. It wasn't, it wasn't cool at all. You know, I, I, I like bands like Me First and the Gimme Gimme's. Uh, that do that kind of thing, like you take uh, popular songs and you you make them punk songs, you know, or punk style songs, whatever. But uh, when the Misfits did it with all those '50s songs, it, it was just not good. And yeah, it did not sound like the old Misfits to me at, at all, at all. It had changed so much. So Michael Graves has gone on to do uh, his own thing. He's in, uh, he has been in several bands. Um, he, he's doing solo acoustic stuff, which is really great. And now he's playing in Marky Ramone's Blitzkrieg, which is uh, kind of a punkish style band with Ramone's drummer, Marky Ramone. And, uh, so yeah, yeah, very cool. So there's kind of a review of Misfit stuff, a bunch of stuff I listened to. Uh, there were some other things, but that was, that was mainly it. Die Monster Die was other stuff I listened to, of course. Uh, they're in my regular rotation of listening. But, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, movie reviews. Okay, here's, here's what I'm going to be blabbing about today and what I'm going to be filling your brain with. I'm going to be talking about White Zombie, 1932, the very first zombie movie ever. And uh, that stars Bela Lugosi, uh, directed by the Halperin brothers. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we're getting back into where zombies came from here. I'm not going to go into depth about zombie history, and I have a few things planned for that already, but... I just want to talk about White Zombie and kind of where it came from and what it's all about and why it is such a fantastic movie. It kind of defined the genre. I'm also going to be talking about a movie called Vampire, which is, uh, has just been released here uh, last Tuesday by Stax Entertainment. Now, this formerly went by the name of Demon Under Glass, uh, and it was released in 2002. This one's called Vampire. It's kind of a new take on a vampire story. And I'll be telling you all about that, what I thought of that movie a little bit later on. Uh, I review of beers this week. I was delighted. Very happy to see that my friend Brian in Colorado sent over a beer review, or a, a excuse me, review of beers this week for the podcast. And it's wonderful and fantastic and review of beers. Always, always a great thing. Yeah, yeah, we'll be hearing that. I got some voicemails lined up like I told you. And original music this week, we're going back to covers. Well, at least this week will be a cover song. Uh, you're going to recognize this one, probably, if, uh, if, you're into cool mu if you're into music that doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, wonderful stuff this week. Let's talk about some articles. Um, looking up a lot of things here, and uh, the first couple are out of the UK. 
You know, the UK is a weird, weird place. <laughs> it's also a wonderful place. The UK, wonderful and weird. <laughs> uh, the first one I found was two arrests at Liverpool Airport after attempt to smuggle a corpse onto a flight. Now, like I said, this took place in Liverpool. Two German women, actually, were about to board a flight going to Germany. And they tried to sneak the dead body of a relative onto the plane with them. And uh, they stuck him in a wheelchair, they put sunglasses on him, and they claimed he was sleeping when they went through the terminal. <laughs> and, of course, things were a little suspicious. They were caught. But what's funny is the taxi driver believed him. <laughs> because that's how they got to the airport. He had ridden in the taxi the whole way there. How weird. How weird. It's like Weekend at Bernie's. I mean, down to a T. That's what they must have watched. You know, put on the sunglasses and... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they were arrested. It's suspected that they just didn't want to pay like the really absorbent costs to properly transport a dead body uh, between countries, I guess, in Europe or whatever. So apparently it was too expensive. And the cheaper option was to just pretend he was still alive and buy him a seat on the plane. <laughs> uh, the next one is about uh, London. It says, London court jails man for killing wife with remote control. Ah, oh, guys out there, married guys out there, haven't you once, at least once during your married life, want to kill your wife with the remote control? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding, of course. But this man has been arrested for, he threw the remote control at his wife and killed her. And they were arguing, and it really didn't help that while they were arguing, they were also drinking and snorting coke. Uh, <laughs> so it apparently it wasn't meant harm to be harmful at all the guy just kind of threw it at her in frustration or whatever not to hurt her but apparently the wife suffers from this really rare kind of, of condition where the artery in her neck was very weak and just the slightest of hits or bumps or whatever could have killed her so the remote just happened to hit her in the right spot and it, she was very very fragile and she died so guy killed his wife with a remote ah well, the last one comes from China. This is actually, uh, you know, this has some bright points in the end of it. This is like my positive article, but it's weird at the same time. Chinese woman has corrective surgery 15 years after a horrific car accident twisted her legs the wrong way around. Now, like the headline said, there's a Chinese woman. She was in a terrible, terrible car accident when she was very young, like five or seven or something like that. It ended up that both of her legs were twisted the whole way around, and by some miracle, the doctors managed to avoid amputating her legs. So she kept her legs, but they were now backwards, and they began to grow that way, and they grew really abnormally and became very deformed. So she's just undergone corrective surgery. The doctors say is actually going to enable her to walk, which is insane. They removed like a bunch of bones, and they lengthened the tendons, and... Yeah, yeah, it's actually very amazing, and time will tell if she'll actually ever be able to walk again, but they're hoping that she will. They're being very positive about this, and the thing is, if, if uh, you only click on one thing in the show notes this week, I want you to click on this article and just take a look at the pictures, because it has pictures all along the way, like before and after, and her legs are literally bent backwards and really deformed and uh, weird, weird, very weird. So, those are some articles. Hope it made you smile. Here's some more stuff. Don't tell. I'm really happy for you. I'll let you finish. But Beyonce has one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time.
Hey, Cody, it's Casey's Poppy. Happy Fourth. Hope you enjoying your celebrations. I, however, shall be celebrating by going to work. And a bunch of people who have no idea how to fire up a grill. I really don't see how they can call them at this point because I'm fairly sure that the barbecue gene is found in the testicles. So, uh, have yourself an extra cold one for me. I won't be celebrating too much later. And I will catch you around later. Hello, sir. Hello, Gracie's Poppy. Thank you for calling in. It's really good to hear from you again. And uh, you were cutting in and out there a little bit, but I think I got the gist of what was happening. Happy 4th of July to you. It, it sucks that you had to work, but uh, hopefully you got the opportunity to celebrate. And, you know, I had a few and I set off a few things for you, man. So thanks for calling in, brother. Review of beers from Brian in Colorado. Hi, Corey. Odell Brewery is an amazing microbrewery located in Fort Collins, Colorado. Doug Odell, a home brewer from Seattle, founded the brewery in 1989. Within five years, he'd outgrown his first location and opened a 50-barrel brew house. Odell currently ships to Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, South Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, and Arizona. In my opinion, Odell beers are the best beers for their price in the country. They don't have a beer that falls below a 7 on the Midnight Quarry scale. Ooh. The very best beer from this brewery is called 90 Shilling. The beer's name comes from the old Scottish method of taxing beers. Only the best brews were taxed the maximum. Shillings were a British coin used until the late 1900s. The beer is a lighter version of those old traditional Scottish ales. 90 Shilling pours dark amber in color with a thick tan head. The aroma is malt with a touch of citrus. 
The taste is creamy with a bold hops blast that perfectly balances the toasty caramel malt flavor. 90 Schilling is one of the most drinkable beers ever brewed. I started drinking 90 Schilling shortly after the brewery opened. At the time, my entertainment budget consisted of dinner with my family once every few weeks. We'd all climb into the station wagon and go to a local indie restaurant called the Colorado Grill. They serve blackened chicken wings and 90 Schilling in 25-ounce mugs. Three of those mugs were just about right for one dinner. When we started going out for those dinners, my daughter was a baby. Now she's in college. The point is, I've been drinking 90 Schilling for two decades. And here's the kicker. This beer is relatively cheap. A six-pack often costs less than six bucks. That's under a buck a beer. For comparison purposes, remember that McDonald's is running a radio ad campaign about their $1 soft drinks? Now, imagine you have a buck in hand. What would you choose? A, a cup with ice and a fountain drink? Or a glass of amber goodness sent straight from the gods? Brian in Colorado. Corey, it's Jeff from D.C. I hope I sound better than last time I called because uh, I think I had swine flu or something. It made me real groggy. Anyway, uh, happy 4th of July and happy back to podcasting. Uh, I'll be spending my 4th of July shooting guns because that's what Americans do. They shoot guns and drink beer. I don't know how you'll spend yours, but I'm sure it'll be equally fun. Um, I know you mentioned PCP a couple times on the uh, show with people eating other people and whatnot. PCP is the craziest fucking drug there is in the existence of man. It affects no two people alike, and it is insane. People just take off their clothes and run around naked in the streets being crazy. I, uh, I got splashed in the face with it once, and it was really unpleasant. Didn't take off my clothes, but it made me very nauseous. And uh, I have two cool stories of that. Uh, once, when I had first gotten in patrol, excuse me, patrol, um, there was a uh, burglary call that I got called to. And there was a uh, frantic Spanish guy outside his house. And uh, his roommate had locked himself in his uh, room upstairs and was shouting to us out the window. And the reason he was shouting to us, well, he was on PCP. But uh, being on PCP, he believed that the invisible man had broken into his house and was trying to kill him. So he locked himself in the room with the invisible man, not letting his roommate come in because he didn't want him to get eaten by the invisible man. And uh, then he ended up jumping off the second story and breaking both of his legs and then standing up and uh, refusing medical attention. It was really crazy because his legs were obviously broken, but whatever. And the uh, second more recent of the two was... Uh, there was a, a PCP call that went out uh, not too long ago and uh, got there, and there was a uh, naked man, naked, of course, because for some reason lots of people like to get naked on PCP, get all sweaty and gross. And, and uh, he had uh, turned into a velociraptor. He, uh, he couldn't speak, but he kept on mouthing the words, velociraptor, and making velociraptor claws with his hands. And then he fell over and couldn't get back up which uh, I know sounds like the uh, orange juice LSD story they used to tell you in D.A.R.E., but uh, I was there, so it was the truth. And uh, it was crazy. So, uh, 
yeah, don't do PCP because you'll end up naked eating people or thinking you're a velociraptor or whatever. Um, and I wanted to say something about Survival of the Dead. I liked Survival of the Dead. I liked it the way I liked Escape from L.A., which is, uh, it was a big waste of money and it was kind of retarded, but uh, whatever. I liked it. Anyway, happy 4th. Uh, good to have you back. Later, dude. Bye. PCP is a scary thing. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I think of PCP and I think of stories like you told. I mean, I've heard a lot of them throughout the years, but uh, <laughs> naked eating people thinking you're a velociraptor. <laughs> yeah, and I think of that scene. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Friday, um, but uh, there's that scene in there where he thinks he's just smoking weed, but it ends up like, it's angel dust, Holmes. And uh, so he starts going crazy. He takes off his clothes. He thinks he's a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I stay away from the PCP when it's passed around the party. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is completely cool that you like Survival of the Dead, and I, I won't uh, bust on you for it. I won't think anything less of you for it. I just, you know, I didn't like it, and I had my reasons. And uh, if you enjoy it, hey, keep watching it, man. That's really cool. But, Jeff, my man, it's good to hear from you also. They say it's the exception that proves the rule, and that box is the biggest exception of them all. A creature of pure metal. A living animal. Impossible. Mono? Vampire. But you realize that he is a patient. He's not a lab rat. I expect you to be a positive. Mono, this is a caduceus. This is a sign of healing. That means I'm here to help you. Do you understand me? Like Marcus Welby. How is this not torture? Let me tell you about the man I'm looking for. He's the one in me. He's Vlad. Bolina is over a thousand years old if he had been really committing such vicious crimes he'd leave the trail much longer and bloodier than just the latest serial killer du jour. I require fresh blood. What kind of blood? He's a murderer. He's a survivor. He lives on flesh just as you do. I am what I am. It's the most comfort to your victims. How many deaths were required before a disease could be understood? In pharmaceutical testing, how many people must suffer without treatment so that a drug's effectiveness can be measured? Do you think I like the way you do? I think you should take some samples now. Oh, I got the movie called Vampire in here a few weeks ago. Now, uh, this was just released um, in the UK under the name of Vampire. 
uh, on at the beginning of July here, but it was actually made in 2002 and originally released as Demon Under Glass. And this one looked really interesting to me. Um, it actually, you know, the, the press release they sent along with it talks about how uh, much of an out outstanding original vampire story that this is. And that uh, it has won awards and, uh, you know, it has some... Uh, uh, reviews in here that are positive. So I was like, yeah, man, I, I really want to see this. So uh, here's the description from the press release. Vampire is starring Jason Carter, Garrett Maggart, and Kira Reed. It says, following a string of bloody murders, a creature of myth and legend, a real vampire, is injured and captured by a mysterious secret military unit, imprisoned in a high-security medical center, and then subjected to horrific and brutal medical experiments in an attempt to discover the source of his power. As the medical experiments become viler and more gruesome, the project's doctor becomes torn between sympathy for the patient's suffering and the concern for the evil that threatens to consume everyone involved. So, sounds pretty good. Um, it's a low-budget movie. Um, it, this was just not my cup of tea. Uh, yeah, basically they capture this vampire. They're doing a police prostitution sting at the beginning of the movie because, uh, there's been a guy who's been killing whores and draining their blood. So they find this guy, he's a vampire, but I guess they already suspected that. And they have this special secret unit of the military that wears a cross on their, uh, you know, their SWAT uniforms. And, uh, they capture him. They take him to the military unit. They tell him to... Uh, fully cooperate or else they're going to put them in the sunlight and they do all these really brutal experiments on them and the whole idea the whole theme of the movie is who is the real monster here is it the vampire or is it the humans doing these brutal experiments on them and uh that's the whole thing the unfortunate part is it just wasn't done really well i don't think this movie was constructed very well because i got so bored while i was watching it you know if you heard my my review of house of the devil on Unleashed, uh, James Melzer's podcast, uh, you'll know that uh, part of the reason why I, did, I wasn't thrilled with it was because it was just so slow and it took forever. And this thing, I mean, there were scenes that were so long and I just wanted them to get to the point. You know, a lot of it didn't even matter. It seemed like filler in a lot of places. I mean, it runs 115 minutes and you could have easily cut out like a half an hour of that. Easily. Easily. And it's still gotten to that point because it takes forever to arrive there. And like I said, it's a cool concept and some of the acting is good. Some of the acting sucks. Um, but I just wish uh, it would have been done a little bit better. Uh, I did like the concept, uh, but just not my thing. I'm, I'm just not going to watch it again. So I think uh, on the Midnight Corey scale, uh, I'm going to give this, oh, oh man, probably a, a four out of ten. It, it's rough. You can find it released here on Stax Entertainment um, uh, if you're in the UK. Uh, otherwise, look for Demon Under Glass, uh, which is also called. But uh, it is unique. It is original, but not pulled off very well. Hey, Corey. This is Mike calling from Brooklyn. I was a avid fan of uh, the Midnight Podcast, and I was happy to find out that you're back on the air. I uh, just did a Google search for you because I know you had a blog up a while back. just want to see if there's any changes in your status. And I discovered that you have um, your own brand-new podcast, and I'm overjoyed. So looking forward to uh, all the great stuff coming ahead, and welcome back. Thanks. I like hearing from Brooklyn. I like hearing from Mike. 
from Brooklyn. Dude, I, I remember you calling into the Midnight Podcast, and I appreciate that you're listening to the new one here. And even though I don't give you all kinds of zombie stuff like I used to on the Midnight Podcast, you know, I still work it in as much as I can. And I'm just having a good time doing what I'm doing. But, um, yeah, thanks for the welcome. Thanks that you're listening. And I hope to hear from you again, man. From Haiti, land of the voodoo, comes the most infamous cult of all. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I see death. Master of the undead damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies? Yes, they are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. His instruments of terror, and now this fiend plots to possess a woman. Only a pink boy, a silver wand, in a glass of wine, or perhaps a flower. Keep it, monsieur. Keep it. You may change your mind. Not dead? Are you mad? I saw her die. The doctor signed a certificate. I saw them bury her. Captive in the borderland between life and death. Her brain drained of the life spark. The white zombie obeys the unholy commands of her demon master. As mindless creatures carry out his cursed will, terror explodes in horror and heartquake. Zombie! Halabi! Never eyes so evil, never powers so potent. Never magic so black. Bela Dracula Lugosi as the master of the white zombie. Oh, I've been waiting so long to talk about this movie. White Zombie 1932, the first ever Zombie movie. Oh, boy. This is a great one. A great one. Uh, oh, boy. Directed and produced by Victor and Edward Halperin, who were brothers. And they got this idea from a stage play. Now, uh, you know, here in the past several years, we've seen all kinds of horror go to stage, you know, be adapted for stage, like Night of the Living Dead, Evil Dead, all kinds of stuff like that. But it's not a new concept by any means. Actually, there was a stage play going on at the time called Zombie. It was kind of a, a failure. It didn't do real well. But the Halperins saw it, and they're like, man, that would make a cool movie. And we could probably take that concept and, and do a lot better job and make something good. 
So it started this whole controversy about the zombie as a monster. Could it be legally protected the way that Dracula was, for instance? And the answer ended up being no. After uh, some court things going on and legal issues, they determined that the zombie was not an original idea. Um, you know, up until then, you know, the public had only read these superstitious accounts of zombies and the living dead in Haiti and the Caribbean, and they saw the whole thing as a real just savage place with voodoo. And the truth is that actually Americans just didn't understand the culture of the islands, or in Haiti most specifically. And uh, so Americans were real frightened by the element of voodoo and the unknown, so they embellished a lot of things. But stories of this had been going on for a while. Now, what's cool about White Zombie, it was completely independent. There was no big studio backing, and it was made in, like, under two weeks on a budget of 62.5, which is nothing whatsoever. Uh, it only runs 66 minutes, which is just what it needs to be. It's fallen into the public domain, so you'll find this on a lot of collections. You can watch it on Netflix, which is what I did the last time here. So here's what happens. There's this young couple, Neil and Madeline, and they decide, they're, they're Americans, they decide to go to Haiti to be married at the mansion of this wealthy plantation owner named Beaumont. And so they get to Haiti and they're riding a little horse and buggy to the mansion and they go through this village where they see a voodoo ceremony going on right in the middle of the road. They're like burying people in the middle of the road. So the driver of the buggy starts to tell them about voodoo and, and they go down the road a little bit and they see some zombies and they see this really weird guy in black and he takes the scarf off of Madeline. And uh, so, yeah, the, the driver's like, zombies, and they keep going to the mansion. So they get to the mansion, no big deal, they're a little shaken up. But it ends up that the whole reason they were invited to the mansion to get married is because Beaumont was secretly in love with Madeline. So he was trying the whole time to get her to dump Neil and marry him instead. But she refuses, she turns him down, so he hires this voodoo master named Murder Legendaire. Uh, who was played by Bella Lugosi. So, yeah, Lugosi was awesome. Um, but he hires him to do whatever it takes to make Madeline marry him. So, Legendaire gives Beaumont this little potion, and he just sprinkles it on a little flower in her wedding bouquet. And uh, she smells it while she's walking down the aisle. Now, at the same time, Legendaire is back at his, at his castle fortress, which is on the side of a cliff and is totally awesome. But he's like carving out a likeness of Madeline in a candle. And then he's putting it in the fire. And then she suddenly dies because she sniffs that flower. She gets poisoned. He's doing his voodoo magic and she's dead. So then he sends his zombies to actually rob the grave where she's buried and takes her back to his castle fortress, brings her back to life, gives her to Beaumont. Here, there's your wife. So she's living with him now. But she's a zombie. Uh, she's devoid of any kind of emotion or personality, and she doesn't talk. Uh, she's completely obedient to her master, and I think all she does is just sit around and play piano. <laughs> so eventually, Beaumont gets sick of this. He can't stand her being this way, and she's just lifeless, like nothing. So he goes back to Legendaire, and he begs him to make her normal again. And they have a fight about this, and Beaumont and Legendaire have a big falling out. So Legendaire slips the same zombie potion into Beaumont's drink to kill him, or to make him a zombie anyhow, and so he starts getting real sick. But all of a sudden, Neil shows up. He's uh, been taking the whole Madeline death thing really hard, and, you know, he's, he's gotten drunk a couple times, and but he's been talking with his doctor, 
And together they figure out what Beaumont and Legendaire have been doing. They find out about Madeline. They show up. Uh, zombie Madeline is instructed by Legendaire to kill Beaumont at one point, but she resists somehow. She won't do it. And eventually Legendaire is overtaken. His power uh, is broken. He falls over the side of the cliff uh, with Beaumont. They both go over, and then his pack of zombies just follow right over the side of the cliff like a pack of lemmings. <laughs> and so, of course, now that Legendaire is dead... Uh, Beaumont was dead. Madeline breaks out of the spell that she was under and everything comes to a happy ending. She was never actually dead in the first place. She was only drugged. She was, you know, using that uh, zombie uh, potion that they have, you know, the voodoo people apparently use that uh, just make you look like you're dead and then you can be revived. And of course, we saw that much later on in Serpent in the Rainbow. But anyhow, I'll, I'll be talking about that eventually, too. The, uh, the corpses, though, the zombies that followed Legendaire, they were actually walking corpses. They were living dead. Um, they were dead bodies brought back to life. They didn't have souls. They were completely obedient. But so they were they were zombies. So this movie defined the zombie. What? Living dead. Um, and uh, if there was voodoo involved, then uh, it was obedient to its master, but soulless and lifeless, basically just with one purpose. So that's a zombie right there. This movie defined it. So we got to talk about Bela Lugosi. I mean, this is by far my favorite Lugosi movie. Um, he had made a ton of movies at this point. I mean, it was something like his 51st movie. I mean, it, it was nuts. He was born in the 1800s. So that's that just blew my mind when I saw that. I mean, I kind of knew that before, but then I saw it again while I was researching stuff. And I'm like, holy cow, that's just so surreal. But anyhow... Um, he was at a point in his life, though, where he was in desperate need of cash. You know, and let me say this about Lugosi. You know, for all the talent and presence and just wonderfulness that he had, he was a real dumbass. <laughs> he was. It's too bad. You know, he constantly was screwed over in the contracts he signed for his acting roles. I mean, especially Dracula. I mean, if you look at Dracula, he rushed right into the contract um, and he was only paid $500 a week for seven weeks. And that's it. That's all he got paid for Dracula. <laughs> but yeah, he, he signed all these contracts just because, oh, he thought he was the, the next big thing. I mean, he thought an awful lot about himself. So he signed all these contracts. He didn't even read them hardly. And he would get screwed. So he was making movies at this point, And White Zombie was one of them for the sole purpose of trying to dig himself out of the financial hole that he'd gotten himself into through the years of divorces and just being stupid. And it didn't help that he vehemently turned Universal down when they offered him the lead role in Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, he thought that role was below him. And if you know anything about the whole Lugosi and Karloff thing and, and how that all started here, then uh, I encourage you to read about that because it's, uh, it's really interesting, the drama. That went on there, but uh, at least, you know, he was paid more for White Zombie than uh, he was ever paid for Dracula. So at least there's that, but it still wasn't much. <laughs> but he was the voodoo master. He was murder legendaire. Uh, and his eyes appear all throughout this movie. His eyes are so intense. They're wonderful. You know, his eyes are kind of superimposed and looming in the sky at the beginning. And it just shows the control that he had and his power over his zombies and the people on the island. And, and then he does that weird thing with his hands when he's trying to control his zombies. And he just, he really, really was this movie. And it didn't feel as much like a, a stage play 
as like other early horror films tended to do around this time. I mean, you know, and it, it was done through the cinematography. Arthur Martinelli was a cinematographer, absolutely brilliant. But if you think about it, like Dracula and a lot of movies like that had that whole stagey kind of feel like it was a stage play brought to film, which they actually were. I mean, <laughs> so many of these horror movies came from stage plays. But Martinelli, he used a lot of camera movement, a lot of dolly and tracking shots. Uh, he, he made fantastic use of foreground and background separation. It gave you this great sense of depth. Uh, he, he shot through objects and through people. He used creative focusing techniques and a lot of POV shots. You know, a lot of times Lugosi was just staring straight into the camera and he was so intense and it's so awesome. And there's this great long scene between Neil and the doctor where the camera starts at, at one part of the room and it moves around the whole time while these guys are going on. And it's a fairly long scene. And then as the scene closes, the camera goes back to its original position where it was. And uh, the timing, it, it, it was so, so good. I mean, that, that was tough to pull off. And you don't see a lot of that anymore. You don't see art. I mean, this was art. This was skill. This was hard work to make something beautiful. And uh, like I said, you don't see a whole lot of that anymore. And another big thing is that a lot of movies around this time used a lot of dialogue to tell the story with relatively little action. You know, and again, it's because it came from the stage. And of course, plays are very, very dialogue driven. But White Zombie kind of turned that on its head where, you know, it was relatively little dialogue and a lot more action. And you also have to take into account that we're just getting out of the silent era into the world of talkies, into movies with sound. And so people weren't even used to hearing anything with their movies except a piano, you know, do 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 you know. Uh, and this was still very new. They were getting used to it. And this movie, it, it made a great, great use of sound. I mean, think about it. First of all, the music, the soundtrack to this is brilliant. It was recorded especially for this movie, um, but they were kind of old classical pieces. They were more obscure and perfect, perfect for the atmosphere in this movie because so much of it is atmosphere. I mean, it feels so exotic. It feels like a dream the whole time and you're sucked in to this dream world. And while I'm talking about sounds, my favorite sound, I think, in all of horror cinema ever is the sound of the sugar mill. sound it is so grating and it's almost like nails on a chalkboard and it's it's just so sharp and piercing and the zombies are just grinding along in the sugar mill and at one point one of the zombies just falls right down into the sugar mill and the zombies just grind them right up with the sugar and that sound is there the whole time and that's another long scene that goes on for several minutes i love it the zombie the zombies i thought were really cool especially for the time you know, they have great, great stares, great expressions. I thought they looked good. I thought they moved good. They acted well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So really, really cool. And actually, it's it's funny because I was reading more about this and, and a couple books I have. And it was talking about the opening, the premiere of this. I believe it was in New York. And uh, they actually had this big kind of hype thing going on for it 
where they dressed up nine of the zombies and they were in downtown New York and they were just acting like these zombies, real blank and lifeless and kind of stumbling around and everything. And, and it was really cool. It really stirred up a lot of, a lot of uh, interest because people that are seeing these zombies in the streets. And it, it, it's really cool because you still see that kind of thing happening today. Like I said, this film is art, absolutely art. It's mastery of, of so many things. One of Lugosi's finest roles, I think, uh, my favorite of his. Just the sheer skill involved overall the, through the writing and directing, uh, cinematography, all around. Really, really, really fantastic. And I'm really surprised that this movie isn't a better, uh, more of mainstream. I mean, it's more, it's almost kind of like a cult thing at this point. Not a whole lot of people uh, still talk about it and still, you know, hail it as being a great, great movie that it is. And we could go so deep and I mean, I could, I could talk your ear off about White Zombie, just about the things leading up to it, maybe the things it's, it's talking about socially, politically, uh, economically going on at the time in America and Haiti and the whole European influence. I mean, there are lots of parallels. Uh, you go back in history and politics of, you know, Haiti and foreign involvement in Haiti, you know, most namely America and Europe. And that's a lot of what we're seeing here. And there, it, it's a lot of the same reasons why the zombie thing reemerged and uh, really into the mainstream in 1968 with Night of the Living Dead. So there are a lot of parallels there, but <laughs> maybe that's for some other time. I'll do a part two of this maybe at some point, but I'll get really nerdy on you. <laughs> As if I'm not already. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the critics hated it, as a matter of fact. At the time, gave it horrible reviews, but apparently audiences disagreed. The movie ended up making a lot of money, considering it was 1932, and it only cost like 60 grand to make. Uh, but yeah, I love this movie. Like I said, it, it's kind of attained cult status at this point. And, you know, being the first zombie movie ever... It set the beginnings for what zombies are, even though they're not a legally protected monster, you know, like Dracula, like I said. And it's that kind of public domain generic status and image of the zombie that gives people the ability to turn them into whatever they want. And they most certainly have. <laughs> but I've talked enough about that. People, oh, okay, never mind. Anyhow, White Zombie, if you haven't seen this, you have no excuse not to see it. You can get it at archive.org, which is completely free. You can just go to archive.org and type in White Zombie. You can download it and watch it. Fantastic movie, 10 out of 10. This was the zombie movie that defined all zombie movies from here on out. Hey, Corey, Misfit Boy here. You're a prick. Telling me that Doghouse was not a zombie movie? Come on, man. Give me a little bit of cred. All right? It's total. No, actually, I could really care less. All right. It wasn't a zombie movie, but it was fun. It was gory. We all loved it. Anyone that's seen it anyway. But uh, first off, congratulations on your anniversary. I know I've been away for a while, but I'm back now. So everything's good. Feeling much better. Uh, congratulations on four years of marriage, man. That's a pretty high step there, man. And second of all, uh, Mastiff, man. Plan 9, Grave Robber. Calling you out. Calling the show. Call the show. Come on, man. Call it in. Anyway, I'm going to be watching uh, Paranormal Activity and... Uh, Poughkeepsie tapes 
wondering if that's going to be any good. I've heard a lot of good things about it. I've been listening to uh, some horror, etc. I don't know if you know those guys or are out from Canada. And it's a really good podcast, man. It's really cool. And i got to throw in the fact that Vaughn on last week's Twitter did the unfollow. I'm not going to mention any names, but that was fucking hilarious. All right. So with that being said, hey, I hope you're enjoying the Little Graves as much as I did because I think it's amazing. I couldn't believe that it was just like illusions was just acoustic guitar and piano. I mean, it was just off the hook. And the new Danzig album, anybody out there who likes Danzig, you got to check this album out, man. It's his first one in like six to eight years, and it's great. Any fans of Danzig would believe that he is back, and I know he's going to be doing like nine shows here on the North Coast here. I don't know the exact shows that he's going to be doing in the cities, but it's still all in the works, but I'm sure it's going to be good. I'm just hoping he comes to Cleveland, but apparently after the last time he was here in Cleveland, he punched a cop and he is banned from Cleveland, so we shall see. Other than that, love the show still. You know me. I love the music, especially the last song. It was kind of like ministry, and that really kicked ass, dude. Keep it up, man. I don't care if it's like a ballad or heavy or whatever. Just keep coming, man. All right? Roll it along, man. Piss off the world one ear at a time. That's my philosophy. So, anyway, this is Misfit Boy. I'm out of here. Glad to hear you're back, Corey. As always. Later, bro. Oh, Misfit Boy. I would have thought you would have known those weren't zombies. <laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't matter. It's it's a zombie-ish kind of movie, so whatever. But Doghouse was a lot of fun. I did love it. Very, very gory and brutal. And yeah, yeah. Good stuff. I'm definitely watching it again soon. And uh, yeah, my anniversary was good, but thank you for the well wishes on that. Marriage is awesome. Um, I have an awesome wife that uh, has not divorced me yet, which is <laughs> a miracle. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up Horror Etc., because Horror Etc. is probably the best horror podcast available on the web, period. Uh, Kingstown Ted and Anthony, uh, Kingstown Ted has a long history with the Midnight Podcast. He's pretty much been there since the beginning. He, he's real close with Root Rot. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh, he used to submit reviews to the Midnight Podcast before he started up Horror Etc. And, man, yeah, those, those are some smart fellas. But, uh, yeah, Horror Etc., definitely, everybody should be listening to that. Uh, I, I still get referrals uh, through uh, Horror Etc. website, even, which is uh, really cool. But, uh, yeah, yep, and uh, I, too, am excited about the new Danzig. I haven't actually listened to it yet. But I've heard some great things about it, and hopefully, yeah, he comes around touring around here, because I've never seen Danzig at all, and, you know, with my luck, you know, all these guys are getting up there in years, you know, I'd, I'd wait a long time to ever see them at all, and then they die suddenly, you know, kind of like Peter Steele, I'd never seen Typo Negative, and, you know, it's a band that I used to dig, you know, a lot back in the day, not so much anymore, but I would have gone to see them if they came around somewhere close, and, oh, all of a sudden he's dead, so no Typo for Corey. But, uh, yeah, so, 
Oh, Misfit Boy, it's great to hear from you, my friend. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, we get to hang out again and uh, that you keep calling in. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for Thank you very much, South Carolina. All right, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're going back and I'm doing a cover song this week for my original tunes that I'm giving you. This will also be available for download in MP3 format at midnightcory.com slash music. So how about that? Happy birthday. Free music for you. <laughs> this one, you should all know. Uh, it's by White Zombie. Great, great band. Uh, and it's one of the first White Zombie songs that I ever heard. And uh, probably a lot of that is the same for you guys, too. Uh, it's Thunderkiss 65. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Five. 
supersonic Another fool that gets down on it A pig sweat a million miles I got a heart atomic style I make it look easy That's what I said A glass of silence Explodes in my Fourth of July. Spooky Bill. Have an awesome one. Blow shit up. Bye. A happy Fourth of July to you too, Spooky Bill. I appreciate hearing from you. And then you actually did call in. Because a lot of people didn't uh, respond to my request to call in on the Fourth of July. Some of you did. I appreciate that, Spooky Bill. You've been the man that's been there since the beginning. You know, you you've actually called the most on the voicemail of death, which I appreciate, and I hope you keep your streak alive here. Uh, but yeah, yeah, thanks for calling in, man. Good to hear from you. I hope everybody out there is on YouTube and is watching uh, Spooky Bill on youtube.com slash user slash P-O-T-L-D. Uh, Paraphysiology of the Living Dead. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. You seen this guy before? Did I ask you already? I come looking for missing people here. That's what people do. They hire me to find their loved ones or their friends, ones they suspect have uh, turned if you know what I mean. Zombies don't remember who they are. They're lost. If I do find one, the families usually regret it because they got to take responsibility for it. Or they hire me to take responsibility for it. You know what I mean? No. What do you mean? That usually does a good job. And I would do that on the head, but I want to show you something else on the head. 
Also, it's good because it gives you a little distance if you want to hit him like that. You want to try any of these things? Yeah. All right. Good. Oh, man, you're a pro. Grace? No? Yeah, well, you know, girls. I would go for the medulla. Yeah? There you go. And, of course, you can always roll over the heads with a car. But it should be something substantial. I love it, don't you? Isn't that, did you hear that crunch? Yeah. Reacting quickly and efficiently, that's the key. Those few seconds make all the difference. Anyway, here's my card. You need me, give me a call. 24-7, I'm available. That's the end of the show for this week. Next week, I'm going to be talking about uh, kind of the unofficial sequel to White Zombie and my continuation of the roots of the zombie movie. We're going forward a little bit to 1936, and this movie is called Revolt of the Zombies. And this is another public domain one. You can find it a lot of different places. So I'll be telling you all about that. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to jump back a little bit. I'm kind of... Uh, I'm going to try to go generally chronologically here, but I also want to kind of stick with different themes and different trends. So that's why I'm going directly to this, and then we have a couple to jump back to in between uh, the years when uh, those two movies happened. So, yeah, watch that, and I'll talk about it next week, and maybe give me a voicemail or an email or something about how you feel about it. So go to midnightcory.com, find out all about what stuff is going on there. Call the voicemail of death, 814-806-2828. Or go listen to me on Library of the Living Dead with Dr. Puss, my good friend. Or um, on James Melzer's podcast, Unleashed. Two fantastic fellers right there. They really are. Great guys. But like I said, I'm going to keep you posted on uh, the progress for the Eric S. Brown and David Dunwoody Zombie Flash Fiction Contest. And uh, yeah, I hope you all have a great week. I'll be talking to you again soon. Mm -hmm.